Open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. I'm going to do my best to get through this. If I cry here and there, just bear, bear with me. But uh, I love you guys. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no church I'd rather pastor. And I'm counted a privilege and a blessing uh, to serve each and every one of you, your faithful and loving people. And I just appreciate you so much. Well, let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, as we go to your word right now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Pray none of me and all of you. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that you would minister to each and every heart. And Lord, we know that you're the God of all comfort. Amen. Comfort us that are, that are grieving right now. And Lord, I pray you'd speak mightily through your word. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Hopefully you've got an outline. I'll get to that in a moment. So James was a book that was written by James, the brother of Jesus. Maybe you didn't know that, but Jesus has, had a, has, a, has a half brother. James was also called James the Just, and he was considered to be uh, the spiritual leader of all of Jerusalem. By this point, the, the church had, had scattered out some, and he was basically the, the pastor over the church in Jerusalem. And so James, this letter, is, it, some believe it might be the first book actually written in the New Testament, one of the early ones written. But as we look at the book of James, it's really a very practical book. And what the book is really all about is how to live a life as a mature Christian. You know, guys, we should not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Amen? Amen. Be hot or cold, be you lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And we should not be content with just having, you know, the get out of hell free card and the promise of eternal life. Our heart and our desire should be to live in, and walk in the center of God's will, to be all that he wants us to be, to not to settle for less than God's highest. So grab your outline and we'll dig into the text. I tell the message, Marks of a Mature Christian. How to see, how, first, it's how you see yourself and how you see the Lord. You know, we need to have a proper, a proper perspective on who we are in relationship to God. We need to recognize who we are. So who we are and then how we see Jesus. Here's the problem with all the cults. They make Jesus less and man more. And we're going to see in this morning's text, man is less and God is more. Amen? Amen. And we need to be reminded of that, and that's what we're going to see in the first part of the text. Heart of a bondservant, bound by love, not by law, slaves by choice, and we recognize who Jesus is. He's Almighty God. He's the Lord of salvation. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. Point number two, how to respond to trials and tribulations of life. I spent, uh, I have not really slept since my son went to heaven. I haven't been hungry. That's just, you know, I guess that's part of having a broken heart and grieving. And I get that, but it's given me a lot of time to spend in this text, and it's really ministered to my heart, and I pray it'll minister to yours as well. Trials are not punishment from God, but an opportunity to be used by God. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Without a test, there is no testimony, and God calls us to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. The only way we can do any of that is if we have an eternal perspective. Amen. See, if, if I was not a believer... If I did not know God, I might have driven my car off a cliff. You know, when you're so heartbroken, um, you know, the death of my parents was a, was a deal, but the death of your son is a thousand times worse. And I remember Greg Laurie saying when his son died that, you know, he's been with people and ministered to them when their children died, so he felt like he was close to it until he was on this side of it. And he said, I was never within a million miles of it. So this is just a deeper pain than I can, I can't even describe it. And I hope none of you join me in it. 
you know, because I told Mark uh, when the last time, you know, we talk often about his struggles, and I'd say, son, you know, I need to do your wedding. I want to meet your wife. I want to hold your babies. I don't want to do your funeral. And now I'm going to be doing his funeral next Saturday. But the good news is that with an eternal perspective, he didn't die. He just moved to a much better neighborhood. He closed his eyes on earth and he opened them up in glory. And there's no more addiction. There's no more depression. There's no more anxiety. He's with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we're going to see him again. And we have the promise of eternal life. Amen. And there is hope. So how do we respond to trials and tribulations? And then finally, where do you turn for wisdom, knowledge, and direction? And he's mainly talking about where do you turn when you're hurting? Where do you turn when you're going through difficult times? Who do you run to in the middle of the worst trials of your life? I went for a long walk yesterday, and I found a green belt, and I just got on my knees and worshiped and talked to the Lord. And you know what? Guys, when we're going through difficulty, we run to the Lord, not from him. Amen. And we don't blame God. We praise God. Amen. And we trust in his sovereignty and we trust in his faithfulness and we trust in his character. And though he slay us, yet will we trust in him. Amen. Amen. And he's a faithful God. So where do you turn? There's no greater time to seek godly wisdom than when you're in the midst of a trial. The Bible tells us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We're going to talk about that. We run to the Lord. Don't run to the world. You don't need to call 1-800-PSYCHIC. Don't ask Dr. Phil what he thinks. Don't ask your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You got 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages, over 1,500 years in one central theme, and that's only possible because because God wrote it. So guys, we want God's word, not the words of the wisdom of men. And guys, that's where we turn, and that's what gives us peace no matter what trial we're going through. Whatever that difficulty is, some of you, your jobs are on the line because some medical choices you're having to make. Guys, run to the Lord, don't run to the world, amen? Whatever those difficulties are, some of you guys have kids that are, you know, you have those prodigal sons and daughters. Some of you are, you know, just different trials that you're going through in life, and no matter what that trial is, no matter how big or small it may appear to the world, if it's, if it's a trial that you're going through that's grieving you, run to the Lord and nowhere else. Amen. And then finally, spiritual growth comes when we seek the Lord for wisdom and direction, and then we obey. It's one thing to seek it. It's another thing to do it. Amen? It's one thing to read the Bible, and it's another thing to live it. Let's open. Let's go there to point number one. How do you see yourself? How do we see ourselves, and how do we see Jesus? Verse one says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In ancient letters, they always began with who wrote the letter, you know, because they were typically written on long scrolls. They didn't want to have to, you know, peel it all the way down to find who wrote it. So the introduction always included, you know, we, we go, dear John, and we put our name at the end. They always put their name at the beginning. So James, beginning this writing, and we learn a great deal about James from his introduction. First, we note a sense of humility because he refers to himself as a bondservant. Well, he's actually the brother of Jesus. Now, if Jesus was your brother, how quick would it be for you to tell everybody? I'd be wearing a sign, Jesus, my brother. Amen? <laughs> and instead, what does he do? He refers to himself as a bondservant. He he's going to refer to his brother as, as the Christ and the Savior. And guys, we need to recognize when we, when we come before Almighty God, we need to come in humility and brokenness and recognize that what we are is we're servants. He's the master, and there's only one, and we're the servants. Amen? Amen? Now, you know what, though, is amazing? It's wonderful to serve a good master. Yeah. It's wonderful to serve a master who's willing to die for you. It's wonderful to serve for a master, again, who loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. If you were writing the, 
letter, again, maybe some of us would include our relationship to Jesus, but James does not do that. Now, the word bondservant, the word there in Greek is doulos. You've probably heard that before. Uh, doulos, it speaks of one who has become the permanent slave of another by choice. Here's what would happen. Uh, typically, when people got indebted, this is where the, the, the slavery sense came in, is if you got a debt you couldn't pay, you'd become an indentured servant. You know, in a lot of ways, like an employee that couldn't leave. And so you would have to work till your debt was paid off. There were times where every seven years, some people's debts would be, but if you had a debt and you could pay it off, then you would be set free. But if you had a master that you loved, that your family loved, and you want to stay after the debt's been paid, you would go to your master and say, I don't want to leave. You're a wonderful master. I want to be a part of your family. I don't want to leave. And then you would be taken down to the city square and they would drive an awl through your ear. And it would be almost like a big earring as a, as a, a sign of ownership papers that you belong to your master. So a bondservant is a slave by choice. It says in Exodus, if you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, but on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man. But those who wanted to stay would be voluntary servants for a lifetime. You know, the when you think that, when you recognize how good life is, where else would you go? Guys, where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else can bring us peace? Who else died on the cross for us? Who else saved us? Who else is the creator of the universe? Guys, there's nowhere else to turn. There's the hope no, and no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. So sadly, too many today view coming to the Lord as being bound by chains. See, we're bound by love, not by law. We're bound because we love him. And too many, when you talk to them about the Lord, they'll talk about, well, if I come to Jesus, then I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have to give up this. I'll have to give up partying or I'll have to quit sleeping with my girlfriend or whatever that thing is that you don't want to let go of because you fear being bound and you fear having to give something up. I want to encourage all of us. We gain everything when we come to Jesus and we lose nothing. The only things that we lose are the things that harm us. The only things that are taken away are the things, again, that would destroy us. You know, again, we talk about this often that, you know, the word of God is not a, a wall to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. And you know what? The law is good for us. So instead of recognizing uh, who he is and his incredible love for us and realizing in coming of him, we give up nothing. There are so many that, again, hold off on giving their life to the Lord because they are afraid of what they'll have to let go of. Could it be said of you? Could it be said of me? Could it be said of you? Let's put you at your name there. Could it be said, Dave, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Could it be said of any of your names? Are you a bondservant? Are you bound to the Lord? Have you, been, have you been united with him? Have you made the conscious choice to surrender your life fully for the rest of your life? Guys, it's one thing to have him be your savior, but he needs to be your Lord. And Lord means full surrender. He's on the throne. He gets to do with my life whatever he wants. And you know what? If he decides it's time for my son to go to heaven, then we're going to praise him anyway. Amen. And see, we don't question God. We don't doubt God. We trust his character. We trust his love. We surrender our lives to him. So James, not only in how he sees himself, he sees himself as a bondservant. How does he see Jesus? He refers to him as, as the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's not his first, middle, and last name. Amen. <laughs> Lord, it, it, it speaks of supremacy, authority, and deity. It's curios. So he is the authority. He is the authority. There's no one above him, beside him, before him. 
He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Almighty, All-Knowing, All-Powerful God. In Him alone do we serve. Lord, he's Kyrios. He's also Jesus. Jesus is uh, Yeshua or Joshua in today's language. It means Jehovah is salvation. So he is our supreme authority and deity. He is our salvation. And then Christ means anointed one or Messiah. So Jesus, the authority, the supreme authority, the one who is our salvation, the Messiah the anointed one, that's who Jesus is. So James recognizes who he is and who Jesus is, and the key to true peace in this life and the one to come is, again, that we recognize that he alone is God, that he alone is on the throne, that he alone is the one that guides and leads and directs our life. Well, the pastor I served in San Jose, Don McClure, we used to always talk about you know surrendering your life to the Lord. Well, in a, over the years, he ended up having a stroke, and he went blind in one eye, and he got one of his lungs cu- half cut out, and then he had to replace one hip, and then another hip, then one knee, and then the other knee. And we're in a staff meeting one time. He goes, you know, I gave my life to the Lord. I just didn't, just didn't think he'd take it one piece at a time. <laughs> but the reality is, as believers, when we surrender our life to the Lord, that doesn't just mean we're willing to die for him. That means we're willing to live for him in difficult circumstances. It means we're willing to live for him outside of our comfort zone. It means we're willing to surrender to him even when it comes to our own children. James could have been boastful, the brother of Jesus. He also could have been bitter. You can you imagine if Jesus is your big brother? I think that'd be pretty sweet, but what if mom and dad are like, why can't you be like your big brother? <laughs> you thought it was rough for you because you had like a sibling got straight A's or something, right? <laughs> Right? I could just see the little brothers calling him Mr. Goody Two Sandals or something. But you know, and then it says here, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. You know, when this book was written, because it's written in about 45 AD, so Jesus has only ascended 12 years ago. So this church is still largely Jewish at the time, but they have been scattered. And so this letter is written to the believers. So a lot of the books are written to a specific church in a specific city. This was written to all believers. Well, guess what? We're included in all believers. Amen? So this is a letter that is written to us. Again, the early church was undergoing incredible persecution. They fled Jerusalem in fear for their lives. In days when those early Christians were being persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, burnt alive, fed to lions for sport. What Satan means for evil, God will use for good. See, they attack the church and they're bringing persecution. What does the church do? It spreads out and more people get saved. So praise God that even in the midst of persecution, God brings about his will. And we have to trust whatever trial we're going through, that God is going to use it for his kingdom and for his glory before it's over. And we talk about this often, no suffering is wasted. Amen? Amen. And what happens is when we go, you know, it's in, it's in Corinthians, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it talks about when, you know, when God comforts us, God allows us to go through trials that he may comfort us so that we may then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. Amen. See, so he comforts us. We go through the trial so we can be comforted, so now we can be prepared to comfort others. There's not a doubt in my mind that I'm going to be ministering to people down the road who have children go to heaven. There's not a doubt in my mind, because I've done that in the past, but I used to have sympathy. I feel bad for you, and now I have empathy. I know how you feel. And, and, I, and I wish I didn't know how they felt. I'm not trying to, I really do. I would give anything for Mark to be here right now, but guess what? He wouldn't want to come back. You gotta get an amen. Because heaven is better, and we can praise God for that. 
While persecution had forced them to scatter, the end result was the spreading of the gospel throughout the known world. You know, and there's a physical perspective we can have some time that God doesn't care. The eternal perspective brings about the furtherance of the Great Commission. See, they could have thought, hey, we're being attacked. Doesn't God care? Why doesn't he protect us? But the ultimate plan was that they would be spread out and the gospel would go more places. See, sometimes maybe we lose our job for making a stand for the Lord and it may be that God wants to use you somewhere else. Maybe he's got another mission field for you, amen? So we learn to trust that God knows what he's doing. He cares about every, he knows the number of hairs on our head. So he cares about every detail of our life. And there's not a doubt in my mind, he was in the room with me when I was doing CPR on my son. And he made the decision it was time for him to go to heaven. And we know we just need to trust that. We need to trust that. Trust in the sovereignty of God. It's not about our plan. It's about his plan. Then he says, greetings. Now, this seems to be a simple enough way to begin a letter. But it was written to Christians who were being persecuted. Christians who were being fed to lions. Christians who were being set on fire. Christians who were being beaten. Christians who were running for their lives. You know what that word greetings means? Rejoice. Go down into a prison. Guys are locked up for their faith and they're eating bread and water. They're freezing, they're cold, and you go in and say, rejoice. You got guys who are being chased around and, and they're, they're being beaten for their faith. They're, they may be waiting to be fed to lions and they, the, the exhortation is rejoice. Because again, we can rejoice because we have an eternal perspective. We rejoice in the midst of great difficulty and persecution. That's what God's called us to do. This word uh, is directed to them, and they might have thought, doesn't he know what we're going through? Doesn't he understand the persecution we continue to face? Guys, it is so arrogant of us to think that God doesn't know everything about our lives. Amen? Yeah. And he already knows what's coming, and he allows it to come, because it's all about his glory and our growth, not our comfort. Amen? Amen. It's about his glory and our growth, not our comfort. It's not about us being comfortable. It's about us being godly and used for his kingdom and his glory. The following verse is going to make it very clear that not only does he understand, but the Holy Spirit has given him an incredible perspective, James, on their circumstances, about to shed light on the fruitfulness produced by such trials. So point number one, how do you see yourself and how do you see Jesus? Again, we need to have the heart of a bondservant, bound by love, not by law. We're slaves by choice. We recognize uh, who, G who we are and who Jesus is. He's almighty God. He's the Lord of salvation. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. Point number two, how to respond to trials and tribulations of life. Trials, difficulties of life that God allows, a, allows to enter into our life to grow us spiritually. Let me make a real clear delineation between trials and temptation. Trials are things that God allows to come into our life that we may grow. Temptation comes from Satan to draw us away from the Lord. Trials ultimately should draw us closer to the Lord, while temptation seeks to draw us away from the Lord. When we are tempted, we are not tempted by God because God does not tempt us. Amen? Amen. So temptation comes from the enemy. And know that every time you're tempted, Mark and I talked about this a lot, you can either give in to it or you can resist it. And it's not just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. Amen. So when you're tempted and you resist the devil, he flees from you. Amen? Amen? And every time you do that, you grow stronger in your faith. So look at temptation, not just as a curse from the enemy, but an opportunity to grow spiritually. And then trials, like I said, they originate, or they have to go through the hands of the Lord. Look at verse 2. It says, my brethren... 
Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. In the midst of trials, it is so easy to lose perspective. They had left their homes. They had left their possessions. They had left their families. A lot of them were dwelling, dwelling in foreign countries on the run for their lives. And it's so easy in the midst of that to feel like uh, the trial is ruining everything. You know, have a trial and you think, well, man, why, why is this happening? And this is ruining everything. Well, again, if it's coming from the Lord, it's preparing you for even greater things. To put our focus on the trials, to feel overwhelmed by our circumstances, but in such times, we find ourselves uh, just trying to get past it, feeling anxious and burdened and impatient. And James' words of exhortation and encouragement are to count it all joy. Now, we're not to look at, it, joy doesn't mean that, you know, hey, I, I, you know, I just got shot in the leg. Let me do some jumping jacks praising Jesus, right? And there's this mentality, you know. But that's at the same time, we need to recognize and not view them as, difficulties of life but as a, or a source of discouragement, but as an opportunity, something that God is going to use to grow us in him. How many of you want to be closer to the Lord? Think about it before you raise your hand. Okay. Everybody used mightily in scripture suffered greatly. The Bible talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus is the one he followed and nobody suffered more than him. And we want to be more like Jesus. Well, okay. Then that means we're going to go through some trials. We're going to have some physical hurt that's going to cause us to keep our eyes on the eternal instead of the physical. See, if I, you know, I, the last two nights I haven't slept and, I'm, and I lay in my bed, I put videos on of my son when he was little and, and it just broke my heart, you know, looking at my son wishing he was here. And if I look at it from the physical, I'm just going to have a broken heart all the time. But if I look at it from the eternal and recognize where my son is with my parents in heaven, worshiping Jesus no more pain, no more addiction, no more depression. And you know what? And he's waiting for us. He's been delivered home and he's safe. Can I get an amen to that? And so, we, but see, if we keep the physical perspective, we're going to be bummed. Oh, that election didn't go the way I want. God's still on the throne. Amen? Not bone God out of office. And by the way, I will say this. It's only been a couple days but seeing my son like that, all it did was make me appreciate so much more that Almighty God sent his son to die for us. Amen. He chose to do that on purpose. What a gracious God we serve. Amen? Amen? We can't lose sight of that. Again, not saying we should dance a jig because we lost our jobs. We've been diagnosed with a serious illness. We're enduring persecution. I'm not saying that, but there's a joy. The word Greek there means calm delight or gladness. To see beyond the immediate trial to the eternal fruit, to the eternal perspective, this is a word for all of us. When you fall into various trials, it doesn't say if or when, or when. it doesn't say if, it says when. It doesn't say if you fall into trials, it says when you fall into various trials. And for the most part, how many of you guys, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter, it can be minor, major, how many of you are going through a trial right now? Three-fourths of the room. 80% of the room. Well, guess what? When this one ends, another one's coming. So you're either in a trial, heading out of a trial, or heading back into a trial. Amen? In the world, we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. See, the problem is we're going to have tribulation because we live in a fallen world that is filled with sin. Amen? And sinful people, and it's wicked. 
and Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Again, but God is in control ultimately. So as long as we live here, it's not home. Mark beat us home, amen? And we're not home, but home is coming and home is better. And we're just in the tent, the temporary tent that is of no value in the end. As Christians, trials are an absolute certainty. It's not if, it's when. The word they fall into speaks of something that is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. It's a trial that you couldn't have fixed. Being transparent again, one of the things that starts to rush through your mind, what could I have done to save my son? My wife and I have just wept over that repeatedly. My son this morning said the same thing. If I'd been home, maybe. And you know, it's hard. Well, what should I have done? What could I have done different? And I will tell you, because my son struggled with depression, he came up to me just, he came up to me in the last couple months twice, and he put his hand on my chest, and he said, Dad, if I die, it's on me, because you're a great dad. And I said, but I, I don't want you to die, son. That's not okay. But he would repeatedly tell me that because he struggled with depression and he knew that was a possibility. And when he died, we were not shocked, but we were heartbroken because we knew it was a possibility for the last 12 years. But when it happens, it's so immediate. He didn't get to say goodbye and it breaks your heart. But you know what it does? It makes heaven something you long for even more. Amen. 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 And the older I get, the more people I've got in heaven that I can't wait to see. I just did that funeral two weeks ago for uh, my assistant pastor in Santa Cruz. In the first 45 minutes of the memorial service, uh, we were just all hugging each other because we were all Christians who used to go to the church I pastored years ago and people had come from all over. And I thought, this is what heaven's going to be like. You know, if our first hug's going to be Jesus, then we're going to be hugging each other. Amen? We're going to see people we haven't seen. And guess what? We're going to get to be together forever and ever. And I can't wait. So it speaks of something that is unavoidable, something that's all-encompassing, like falling into a pool of water. It just overwhelms you. And unlike sin and temptation that we respond to or go looking for, trials uh, have different degrees of seriousness. And most are in a trial, you know, in trials coming out of a trial. But none of us is above trials. Nobody. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your education is. I don't care what your family is. It doesn't make any difference. The reality is that we're all going to go through trials. When I was talking to the medical examiner before they carried our son out in a, a, a duffel bag, something you don't ever want to see, um, he said that exact same thing to me. He said, Mr. Johnston, you need to understand this is an epidemic. It's the number one cause of death in America under the age of 40. And he just said, and it happens, he said, we were picking people up every day. And he said, it happens every day. And he said, it happens to rich people and poor people and, you know, different economics, different cultures, different backgrounds. And the same is true with trials. See, we can't avoid it. It's a part of living on this planet. Here's the difference, though. We can walk through it with Jesus or we can walk through it alone. And when we're walking through it with the Lord, this is but light affliction. When compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Amen? Amen. It's a blessing. It's a joy. It's a peace. And praise God for it. Some people think that, you know, a trial is when your AC is out in your car. <laughs> you don't understand, though. It's hot out here and I can't take it. And that could be a trial, I guess. But you know what? Um, whatever that trial is, it's good to know that the Lord walks with us. Look at verse 3, where it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word patience there in Greek is hupa mone. Hupa means under, and mone means to stay. 
So it's to stay under. So what it means is that literally to stay under the burden as long as you need to. So it's saying that, you know, it's this patience, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. See, the more times you walk through trials and you stay under them and you trust the Lord in the midst of them and you don't try to run from them, the more you grow. The stronger you'll get in your walk with the Lord, the deeper your faith will be. Not the quality that helps you sit quietly you know, the, in a doctor's office waiting room as much as the quality that helps you finish a marathon. This word patience means to not give up, to continue to endure. And sometimes people see patience, oh, I'm just sitting and waiting for the Lord to do something. <laughs> Guys, uh, we, get, we get to take part in what God wants to do, amen? amen. We need to step out in faith. You know, the, the, the river didn't part, the Jordan didn't part till they put their foot in it. And too often we're sitting back waiting for God to do something and God has already laid the path out for us. He's drawing us by his Holy Spirit. Guys, we got to take part in what the Lord wants us to do. You see, testing doesn't produce faith. Wait a minute, I thought you said testing your faith. Testing doesn't produce faith. You know what it does? It reveals faith. Amen. If you have faith, you'll find out when you're tested. Amen. Faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so you find out when you are tested if you have faith or not. Amen. And so guys, this is, this is going to be an incredible growing moment for our family. And I'll be honest with you, I wish we could have skipped this one. Amen. Wish we could have skipped it. But guess what? It's going to be an opportunity for us to grow because our faith is not going to waver and we're going to keep praising our God no matter what. We'll praise him in times of blessing, not just in times of blessing, but in times of adversity. Amen. It just reveals and refines our faith. That's what testing does. Faith is not produced through trials, but it's revealed another way. How is faith revealed? How do you get faith? Come on. There it is. Praise God. Fina Gallery over here. Pastors over here. Guys, that was not a trick question. What's the theme verse of Calvary Chapel? There it is. Romans 10, 7. It's, it's right here. Right there. Teacher's edition, notes are right there on the wall. Left the answers on the board. But here's the reality. Is. It's right there. Everybody's like, I don't know. Guys, why is Pastor Dave repetitive? That's why. So, but, so if you want your faith to grow, it doesn't grow through tests. It grows through the word. Amen. See, that's why if you spend more time in the word, you're ready for the test. Amen. If you spend more time in the word, you're ready for the trial. You know, when my son died, I, I had 35 verses going through my mind, and God was comforting me. I wept for 20 minutes straight, and they, they asked me if I needed a chaplain. They were going to call Randy. Where is he? I said, you going to call Randy Tucker? And he, they said, yeah. I said, he goes to my church. But the good news, again, is that the Word of God deepens our faith. And the people I admire the most are the people that have suffered the most and have not flinched. People like John Corson who lost his wife, then lost his daughter, then lost his son, and remained steadfast. That's someone who I want to spend time with. And, it's, and we find out, we can think that somebody has great faith, and then sometimes even a minor trial blows them off course. And why does it do that? Because they don't spend enough time in God's Word. Amen. People used to ask John Corson, I want to have faith like you. He said, you can. Read the Bible as much as I do. Turn off Netflix, pick up your Bible, and watch your faith grow. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. So again, this is what prepares us for the trials we have, don't even know are coming. It took 33 years as a pastor to be prepared for what happened, and it was still hard. And guys, I want to encourage you, if you're struggling, 
Spend more time in the Word of God. That's how your faith grows. Trials received by faith produce both spiritual endurance and a godly testimony. Being a man or a woman of the Word strengthens us for the trials of life. People can say, well, I would never be prepared for that. Well, you can be. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Amen? Spend time in the Word of God, and you will be prepared for it. And again, there are many trials out there, marriages that are falling apart, children in rebellion, many out of work, several dealt with recent deaths in their families, still others witnessing the heavy consequences of sin upon those close to them. And it's times like this that we can start to doubt or question God if we don't spend time in his word. Because all people call me and they'll say, well, I just, maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe, maybe, God, maybe God's not even real because this happened and I didn't expect that to happen. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God take the son out of a pastor's family who loves and serves him? You know what? That's his prerogative because before Mark was my son, he was his. And he put him in our family and we're blessed that we got 28 years with him. I would have loved to have gotten about 28 more. But you know what? It's God's will. It's God's plan. We trust him. Amen. And what brings you comfort is the word. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I don't have to wonder what Mark's doing. I know. He's around the throne worshiping. Amen? And see, and that's true of all of our trials. We can trust the Lord. He's a faithful God. The trials are not by accident. And in the end, if we will walk faithfully through them, they will produce fruit. Faith says, Lord, this is so difficult I don't know if I can make it. This is so hard for me. But I believe you are in control. I believe you have a purpose. And I'm going to trust you in this and believe you even, uh, believe you even as you bring me through this. And I'm going to count it all joy. That's what I wrote in the middle of the night about that was me writing to God. Let me read it again. Lord, this is difficult. I don't know if I can make it. It's so hard. My heart's broken. But I believe you're in control. I believe you have a purpose. And I'm going to trust in you in this and believe that you can bring good even from this. And you know what? I just pray for all of us that whatever trials we're going through, give us an eternal perspective and give us a biblical one. Amen? A biblical perspective, eternal perspective. God allows our faith to be tested. Peter writes about it later that our faith is far more valuable than gold. Uh, we can lose sight of how valuable our faith is. It is the refiner's fire of trials that purifies our faith. You know what it does? When you go through a trial, your faith gets strengthened. It's like gold. You know, when they turn up the heat, the dross rises to the top and they can take all the dross off, all the impure metals, and the gold becomes more pure. And so as we go through trials, our faith is, is strengthened. Our faith is purified, if you will. And our faith, again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Midst of trials, we, can, we need to just keep going forward. My daughter wrote a, they're coming tomorrow, praise God, because the house feels really empty without Mark. And uh, all our kids and grandkids are coming this week. My sister's here. She was up here praying with us. Thanks, Steph, for being here. Love you. And, uh, you know, in the midst of trials, we just need to take, take the next step forward. And my daughter wrote, 
how heartbroken she was because as a big sister and how she wishes that she'd had more time with him. But she knows he's with the Lord. And then at the end, she said, and tomorrow will be one day closer to heaven and seeing him again. And I love that. Tomorrow will be one day closer to heaven and to us seeing him again. And every day is one day closer. Amen? Amen. Godly character cannot be produced apart from faithfulness in the midst of trials. Let me say that one more time. Godliness cannot be produced, godly character cannot be produced, apart from faithfulness in the midst of trials. Because if you're, if you're, you know, it's easy to be on the cruise ship to heaven. Come to our church, you give $1,000 left, uh, we'll give back $100,000, and everybody's just, woo, woo, you know, and it's nonsense. <laughs> and you give life to Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And then something bad happens, and you run from the building like it's on fire. And why is that? Because you don't have faith in God. You have faith in faith or faith in money or faith in a holy slander clause in the sky. And the reality is that we as believers, we have faith in Almighty God. And we can trust his character. And you know when, when our faith grows? When it gets hard. It's when it gets hard. Verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. Wow. Again, here's that word hupomone. It's endurance, steadfastness, consistency. You know, the characteristic of one who is not swerved from his uh, deliberate purpose, one whose faith is not shaken. I was, when I was asked to do the funeral lately for my friend, um, a bunch of my former assistants were there, and when they all, and I, and I should have known it was preparation for something. But every one of them, when they spoke and they said, well, and Pastor Dave has the gift of faith. Well, Pastor Dave has the gift of faith. His faith never wavers. Pastor Dave has the gift of faith. And then what happened? My son died. And guess what? I'm getting to find out a little bit more about my gift, gift of faith. Can I get an amen to that? See, as our faith grows, sometimes the trials may be greater. And you know what? That's how we grow more. So why some people say, you know, I'm okay being right in the middle. <laughs> You know, I don't need to be, you know, like in fuego for Jesus. But. <laughs> the word says, let patience, right there, it says, let patience have its perfect work. It means it's full effect. So don't try to escape it too soon. And that's hard. Amen? Don't try to set it aside. A lot of people told me I shouldn't be here today. Told my wife we shouldn't be here today. And there's nowhere else in the world I was going to be today than with the people that I love the most. And we can grieve together. Amen? Amen. I don't want to be anywhere else. And God bless you guys. I can't tell you how many, uh, I think I'm up to like 600 texts now. Wow. And, you know, people from everywhere calling and loving on us and encouraging us. And we just, you know, I just cannot thank you enough. I just can't. I just wish Mark had seen how many people loved him. Amen. He knows now, though. Amen. Amen. So how does patience have its full effect? It doesn't happen by giving up but by pressing in. When we give up, when we murmur, when we doubt God, when we seek to escape the trial rather than grow through it, it reveals not only our spiritual immaturity and lack of faith, but it keeps us from developing godly character and it destroys our testimony. Let me say it one more time. You're in the midst of a trial and if you bail out and you're, you, you choose the easy way out and you don't continue to remain steadfast and obey the Lord, it's gonna blow your testimony. It's going to keep you from growing in the way that you should grow. The world panics when it gets difficult. We should not. Amen. COVID. We don't panic. Amen. By the way, 
give me some COVID right now. I ain't afraid of, of heaven at all, especially now. Can I get amen? You can't threaten me with heaven. I could be hanging out with Mark by nightfall. Let's get it. You know what I mean? But the reality is when, when we recognize that this life is just but a vapor and we got an amount of time to be serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we shouldn't walk around afraid of this world because our God is greater than all of it. Amen? Amen. And God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind, and we can trust him. And he's a faithful God. And the world panics. We don't. God is for us. He's with us. We don't need to be afraid. God was with me when I was doing CPR on my son. And I cried out to the Lord top of my lungs, please save him. And he chose not to. Though he slay me, I will I trust in him. We trust him. Does he know better than us? By the way, you can't, you can't uh, finish a marathon if you quit running the first mile. <laughs> Amen? So if you're walking with the Lord, if you're easily blown off track, if things easily draw you away, if you continue to have a physical perspective instead of an eternal one, the growth that you have in the Lord is going to be respect, uh, restricted. Then it says there, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word perfect there, it, it talks about, it's the same word when they would like examine an animal to be sacrificed. It had to be without blemish, you know, and, you know so it, speaking of that, so fully developed in Christian character and spiritual maturity. That's really what it means. So that we may be fully developed in Christian character and spiritual maturity. You know, we don't seek out trials or invite them to our lives. But when they come, if we embrace the trials, the difficulties, and the problems of this life in faith, then God can do a wonderful work in our lives and through the trial itself. So when the trial comes, you start complaining, God, I thought you loved me, and right? And if God cared about me, he wouldn't do this. And maybe God's not even real. Or if it comes your way and you say, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I need your help to get through this. And Lord, Lord, help. One of my favorite prayers, by the way. Lord, help. Pray it often. Lord, help. Prayed it yesterday or uh, Friday. Lord, help. But also praying, you know, Lord, help me to remain faithful. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me not to waver in the midst of this. Here, here's the sad part. There are a lot of people in this room and a lot of Christians that you will never experience all that God has for you. And I believe you're just missing out. Because it's nothing better than to walk in the center of God's will and be doing exactly what you know God wants you to be doing. Amen? God can do a wonderful work. It brings glory to his name and it molds us more to the image of our Savior. Here's, that's the ultimate result that we want. We want God to be glorified and us to become more like him. But if you want to become more like him, he was the king of suffering as well. So suffering is a part of the, is a part of the recipe. But it's suffering in the temporal. Spurgeon, looking back on trials, said this. He said, in some ways, he longed for them, not the actual trial. He said, but to feel the strength of God as I, as I felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I felt it then, to hang on the powerful arm of God as I held on to it then, and to see God at work as I saw it then. It's a joy and a, a privilege to see God working in our lives. And it's a joy and a privilege to know that he's a faithful God, trusting that through the most difficult trials of life, God is at work, though no suffering is, that no suffering is wasted, that God will bring us to the other side and we will be closer to him. I'm already closer to him because of Friday. Because where else am I gonna turn? And when you're hurting, you cry out even more. You know, being humble, broken, and desperate is a good place to be. Amen? 
So characters developed over time. We can give you examples. I'll just give you a couple. Uh, King David. You know, King David went through a lot of trials before he became king. You know, the first thing he was doing, he was a shepherd boy, and he's out there with nobody watching, killing lions and bears and keeping them from killing the sheep. But God was watching. He was alone worshiping when nobody was watching. But God was watching. When Goliath came and challenged the Israelites and everybody else was scared to death, King David, who'd been worshiping the Lord and spending time in his presence, showed up. And he was the only guy that saw things from an eternal perspective instead of a temporal one. They were all scared to death at that trial because they were all afraid of 11 foot 750 calling them out. And he came in and he said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? Amen. See, he recognized that this man was coming against God, not him. And we know that David slayed Goliath. He, he ran from Saul when he could have slayed him. He lived in caves. He fought the Philistines. And you know what? All of that was preparation to be king. Joseph, his own brothers, contemplated killing him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and imprisoned. And all that was pre uh, leading up to him becoming the prince of Egypt. See, no suffering is wasted. So when we're going through trials and difficulty, God is molding us and preparing us for what he wants to do in us and through us down the road. Amen? Amen. And so if we keep taking the shortcut, we'll miss out on God's highest. The most detailed and graphic example of this, along with Job, is the Apostle Paul. I'll just read this to you. I know you've read it a hundred times, but one more time won't hurt you. Are you Hebrews? So am I. Are they, I am, are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, and a, uh, shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily. Who wants to sign up to be an apostle? <laughs> See, he could endure all that because he had an eternal perspective. He could endure all that because he was walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He could endure all that because he knew he was a bondservant and not the master. Because he knew he was serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he had surrendered his life fully to the Lord, which meant whatever God wants to do with my life, I'm in. Amen? Amen? Amen. We can't get people to go do children's ministry. <laughs> Just saying. Amen? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Lord, I'll surrender my life to you. How about being the three and fours next week? Oh, no, 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 no. Not that much. 2 Corinthians 4, it says this, verses 7 through 10. Let me read this to you quickly. I don't know why I hadn't marked this in my Bible, but I hadn't. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7, to, 7 through 10 says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that an excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 
Guys, that's only possible if you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Only possible if you walk by faith because you spend time in the Word of God. Amen? Verses 16 through 18, that same chapter says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not are eternal. Amen, 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 and amen to that. Amen? Now, it says there, it's light affliction that's for but a moment. If the Lord tarries, I could live another 30 or so years without my son. But compared to eternity, that is but a moment. Amen? Amen? It's but a moment. And like I said, I'm going to miss him every day. Acts 20, one of my life's verses. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I might finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Deep character that is birthed uh, through trials. And that's the only place it really can be birthed. Because again, a faith that hasn't been tested truly is a faith that cannot be trusted. It says lacking nothing. The word Greek there is to, to fail or be absent, to be destitute. Guys, we have Jesus. We, lack in, we don't like anything. Amen. You find out when Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. Amen. And we get discouraged because we want a fifth bedroom. <laughs> Amen. Well, they didn't have the prime steaks at Costco when I went by. You know what I mean? We got this mentality where we look for satisfaction and peace and things that feed the flesh and are temporary when the reality is the way that we truly grow, the way that we lack nothing is that we have the focus on Jesus. Because you know what? You can't take Jesus from me. You can't take me from him, more importantly. No one can snatch me out of his hand. No one can snatch Mark out of his hand either. Heaven's better. Amen. And long for it. Having grown in spiritual maturity, having experienced times when the Lord was all that he had, it's then that we finally realize that the Lord is all we need. In the midst of greatest difficulty, if we have the Lord, we truly lack nothing. You plus God is a majority. If God is for you who can be against you. And we serve a great and an awesome God. Jehovah's Witnesses keep sending me literature. I don't think they're getting the hint. The reality is that... And, and the Mormons, I don't want to be God on my own planet, dude. I mean, if, 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 I, if I was God of the planet, it'd be a mess. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> and the reality is that there's no man that could ever be God on this planet. We serve the true and living God, amen. and he's faithful. Amen. So we saw point number one there, how to see yourself, and how we see Jesus, how to respond to trials and tribulations of life. And then finally, where do you turn for wisdom, knowledge, and direction? And this is really in context. Where do you turn when you're in a trial? And I love getting prayer requests from you guys, and I pray for you every week, and I love to do that. And a lot of the prayer requests, and there's nothing wrong with it, are kind of asking about you know, needing wisdom. Hey, I don't know what to do about, I got, a, I got a, a rebellious child, what do I do? Hey, I've got, you know, I've got a job offer in another state, and I don't know if I should move or stay home. You know, hey, I've, I've been dating this person, I'm not sure if that's the person I'm supposed to marry. You know, all these, you go through these things, and what you're really asking for in all of them is, I need wisdom. Amen. And wisdom only comes from above. Amen. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You don't fear God, you have no wisdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's why we don't seek uh, counsel from the world. Trials bring a, a necessary opportunity to seek God for wisdom. See, that's one of the great things about trials. Because what does it do? You end up on your knees. 
What does it do? It makes you crying out, Lord, I can't fix this. I can't do it. I've tried. I can't. I couldn't fix my son. If I could, it have been fixed a long time ago. But you can't fix it. So what does that make you do? Lord, help. Lord, please. Please. And whatever it is that you're going through in life, you struggle with addiction, you struggle with this, you struggle with, you know, whatever it is, whatever that struggle is, you got to cry out to the Lord for help. And you know what? Praise God that trials draw us to the Lord. Amen? Amen? That's why he allows us to go through them. Again, most of the prayer requests I see, receive are requests for wisdom and praise God for it. That's, that's great. But guys, when we're going through trials, we need to cry out to him. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn through this? You know, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? How do you want to, how do you want to mold me? What wisdom for me is there in the midst of this trial? Lord, is it something you want to remove from my life? Or something that you want me to give the strength of my life to? What is it, you, Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? Lord, I don't want to miss it. It said knowledge is the ability to take things apart, but wisdom is the ability to put it back together. You know, you can tear things apart, but only through the wisdom of God can we bring it back together. Trials almost, by the very definition, are situations beyond our control, things that we can't overcome, and one of the many blessings of a trial is that forces us to turn to God to seek his help, his wisdom, his direction, and his comfort. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and apart from God, there is no wisdom. I'm being transparent about my son, I think, and I know from heaven he'd want me to. But, you know, this has been going on for 12 years. And there was times 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 6 years ago, where I thought we might lose him. And I spent time on my face crying out to the Lord, and the Lord gave us more time with our son. And so, guys, when we're in those difficult places, we need to get on our face before the Lord and cry out to him. It says, let him ask of God, there at the end of that verse, let him ask of God. You know, we, we need to ask the Lord. We need to seek direction from the Lord. It doesn't come from the world. Let us ask of God. And by the way, um, it's easier to ask of God if you spend time with him. Amen. Amen. If he doesn't just get an hour and a half a week. It's a, he's the first one you turn to. The word ask there means to beg, to call for, to crave, to desire. Let him ask. Let him ask. Come to the Lord and ask of God. Notice what it says there. He gives all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. See, if you ask of God, if you come before God humbly and you cry out to him, the word there without reproach means, you know, that God's God so wants to bless you, to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, to comfort you in the midst of the storm. All we need to do is ask. But at the same time, without reproach literally means that he won't be mad if you ask him. There's no, you're not, you're not reproaching him to, to ask him and to ask him again and to ask him again and to cry out to him again. Amen. And he's saying, let us ask. The word liberal there means bountifully. God doesn't hold back on us, amen? And I'm not talking about stuff because let me tell you this too, in the last three days, I don't, you know, and I know, you know, I don't care about anything else but people going to heaven. That's it, I don't care. That's what I did for three days. I don't care. You want to watch a Giants game? No. You want lunch? No. 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 Don't care. Why? Because it gets it puts right in your face what really matters, amen? 
I'm sure I'll eat again at some point. But here's the point. But you know what I'm saying? The point is that there's this stirring up that God will do where your priorities change, your passions change. What really matters changes. The priority of your life is different. You're not railing at, chiding, or taunting. When you come to God, he will not mock you or chastise you when you come seeking wisdom. You're his child. He loves you. He so desperately wants to minister to you. And note the promise, and it says, and it will be given to him. This is not talking about stuff. It's talking about wisdom. So if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. If anyone asks wisdom, ask of the Lord. I don't have it. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. How do I minister to my wife right now? Lord, show me. How do I love her? How do I serve her? How do I minister to my kids? How do I minister to my grandkids? How do I minister to the precious people of Calvary Chapel, Caneo Valley? See, the struggle of this morning, truthfully, I didn't want to make this, this should not, I hope this is not about me at all. It should not be. It's all about the Lord. Amen? And, and because I'm your pastor, I minister to you when you're hurting, and I want to give you an opportunity to minister to me when I'm hurting. Amen? Thank you. Amen? That's how the body of Christ should be. Too many churches, the pastor's all perfect. My kids just walk around singing praise songs all day while they're brushing their teeth. You know, they're all straight-A students, we're a bunch of robots. We never, my wife and I have never had an argument in our life, never, ever, ever, you know. Stop. We need to be transparent, amen? How many sinned this week? Okay, hands not up, you're lying. Amen? That's a sin right there. Amen? But the reality is, we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. One beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And we need to be transparent. And if we ask wisdom from God, Solomon asked God for wisdom and God made him the wisest man on the earth. God's not hiding his best from you. He desperately wants to give it to you. All you need to do is ask. And again, if you're asking for stuff, you're not asking for the best. I want a Cadillac, 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 Cadillac. No. God's got something better for you than a Cadillac. Can I get an amen? All right. Verse six. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. You know, when we come before the Lord, if we ask in doubting, God will not answer that. We have to ask by faith. Amen? Amen. If we come, well, Lord, I don't think you'll do it, but I'll go ahead and ask anyway. No. <laughs> Lord, your word says. Amen. Amen. And that's how you can ask with confidence is when you pray what the word already says. Amen. God, you say in your word that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Lord, I'm crying out to you Give me peace that my son is in your presence right now. So you come before him and you can pray with boldness and you come before the throne of grace with boldness when you take the very promises he's given you and you give them right back to him. Lord, you promised. So I can trust you. I believe your character. I believe your promises. But you won't know his promises if you don't read the book. Amen. I don't know what to pray for. Start reading your Bible, you'll know. Without doubting God's ability or desire to give us wisdom shows the kind of heart we need in seeking God's wisdom, a heart that believes God's word, that he still speaks to us today. Ask according to the promises of God found in the word of God, and God will respond in faithfulness to that. One who is willing to wait for God's answer, though, at the same time. Well, I've been asking God for this, and he hasn't done it yet. Yet's the right answer. We pray in our time, God answers in his time, and his timing's perfect. Amen? Amen. It says, without doubting, that's wavering, to withdraw from, to hesitate, to stagger, to waver, to doubt. Those who come doubting will receive nothing from God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God or to hear from God. 
So we keep getting back to the trials and faith, trials and faith, trials and faith. Trials, again, don't increase our faith. They reveal our faith. Our faith grows through the word of God so that we're ready when the trial comes. Amen? If I did not have faith, I would not be able to make this. I wouldn't be able to stand up here right now. I'm at the end of myself even now. But you know what? In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Amen? Amen. He who doubts is like a wave at the sea. You know, it's tossed to and fro. It blows in every different direction. And instead of patiently and faithfully waiting on God's directions, take things in our own hands, move before we hear from the Lord, and then we blame God when it fails. Last two verses. Verse 7. For let not... Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. It says in Hebrews 11, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is not, you know, step, is, faith is, is stepping out into the unknown as much as it is faithfully obeying what we do know. It's more about what we do know than just stepping out. It's like, okay, Lord, I know you've promised this, so let's do it. Let's obey God. One who doubts God's word and his promises has rejected him. God sees his heart and he should know that God will not answer. Last verse, he's a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Double-minded means, it really means living in the middle. You're living in the middle. Here's the world, here's God's highest and you're stuck in the middle. You're too godly to, to fit into the world and you're too worldly to be used mildly by God. And you know what? That's an unpleasant place to be. Amen. Be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Amen. 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 By the way, if someone has to drag you to church, uh, if you're on fire for God, you're here. Amen. 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 Get to, not a have to. What else would I do today? I'm going to stay home and watch TV. This is the only place. When we waver between faith and unbelief, too much faith uh, to be an unbeliever again, and too much doubt to enjoy the blessings of God. Enough faith to ask, but not enough faith to, to believe or to wait. Guys, it's one thing to ask, and it's another thing to obey it when he tells us the answer. If we don't have the proper faith to trust the Lord and his word, our lives will be fruitless, and again, it will end up in a disaster. Note that a lack of stability in one's prayer life is a reflection of every aspect of your life. Show me somebody who loves the Lord, and I'll show you somebody who prays. Show me somebody who loves the Lord, I'll show you somebody who worships. Amen? Amen. When I want to do something in common with what my son's doing right now, I'm going to worship. Because we're going to worship in heaven forevermore. Amen? Amen. So, Mark's immature Christian. How do you see yourself and how you see Jesus? Heart of a bondservant. Recognize who he is. We're slaves by choice. He's the almighty God, the Lord of salvation. He is the Messiah. How to respond in trials and tribulations of life. Trials are not a punishment from God, but an opportunity for us to be used by God. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Without a test, there can be no testimony. Count all joy when you fall into various trials. And then finally, when you turn for wisdom and knowledge and direction in the midst of trials, there's no greater time to seek godly wisdom than when you're in the midst of a trial. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Run to the Lord, not to the world for direction. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And spiritual growth comes when we seek the Lord for wisdom and direction, and then we obey. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your word that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, we thank you for the promises of the, in your word that bring us peace. 
I thank you, Lord, that I know, that I know, that I know exactly where my son is right now. My heart breaks, and it will break every day until we get to heaven. But come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anybody else here going through great trials. That, Lord, we would not run to the world, but we would run to you. That we'd get on our knees and cry out to you. And I don't think I've ever done this from the pulpit. Lord, I pray for my wife. I just pray for Lynette. Show me how to minister to her. Comfort her. My heart breaks. Because as much as it hurts, the only two people it hurts the most are the two of us, because he's our son. And so bless my wife. I thank you for her. What a blessing she is. Oh, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen.